The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Morning, Parkwood Faith family. Let's uh, continue to worship our Lord together by studying His Word. So let me ask you to open your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Came in and you have a copy of uh, the Word. Let me encourage you to turn that place or turn it on and scroll to it. Uh, whatever you need to do to, uh, to, to get to 2 Peter 2. If you're sitting close to somebody that doesn't have a copy of the word this morning. Let me encourage you to invite them to look on with you or help them to find one uh, that is close, maybe in the racks there. Second Peter chapter two. This is the word of the Lord beginning in verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the masters who, master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I taught a course uh, this weekend at our seminary. It's a hybrid course, so students do much of the work online, and then they come in for an intense weekend. So we were together from noon on Friday and Friday evening and then all day yesterday. And it's a base preaching course, our teaching course that we have at the school called Bible Exposition. So I'm talking a lot about preaching, talking about teaching in small groups and treating God's word rightly and all of those kind of things. In the course of the weekend, one particular point, I was, I was exhorting, challenging uh, the, the students to be careful about um, flippantly throwing around phrases like, well, God told me, and God spoke to me. I assured them that I, I believe that God does speak to us through his spirit in, in, in our lives, but sometimes we preachers and teachers are very loose with our tongues when we let phrases like that roll off of them, and they, they, can, they, can, they can create problems for listeners in a couple of different areas. One I think sometimes there's people that are hearing us say stuff like that. Well, God told me, God spoke to me that are saying in their hearts, there must be something wrong because God doesn't talk to me like that. And they wonder, they wonder if there's, there's something awry or missing less about their Christian faith. Another thing that I caution them about is sometimes when we preachers and teachers say something like that, well, God told me and God spoke to me that if we, if we follow that with saying something that is contradictory to this book, then that can create shipwrecked faith in people's lives, wondering, well, what, you know, why, why would God tell you that? But, but it says, or 
we say things sometimes that are not necessarily contradictory, but they're, they're, they're outside of this. They're different from that. And when we say it, oftentimes it, it comes across as if we're putting our word as preachers and teachers on the same level of authority as what's in this book right here. And that, that can create problems for people. After the class ended yesterday afternoon, a student came to me. He had tears in his eyes. And he said, I need you to help me know what I'm supposed to do because exactly what you described today is what is happening in my church. And he said, I can't tell you how many times I've gone home thinking I, I must be missing something because the pastor's hearing God in a way that I don't hear God. And sometimes he says things that he says God told him that I look on the pages of the Bible and they're not there. And sometimes even they're contradictory. And when I listen to that student struggling and wrestling with his theology, I was reminded about why Peter says stuff like this. That there is, in fact, in our midst as a Christian church, teachers and preachers who are not speaking the word of the Lord. And, and, and so Peter comes to chapter 2 here and he wants to help us with that. But I want you to understand something, Parkwood. I, I need to warn you, this entire chapter right here is simply filled with, with uh, an awareness of who false teachers are and, and what they're like and what they teach and what their, what their end is, what their, what, what their destiny is. There is not one word of exhortation or command in, these, in, in, in chapter 2. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be reading stuff in the Bible that actually doesn't tell us to do anything. It simply makes us aware. It brings to our understanding and awareness the reality of something that is so vitally important for the community of faith, and that is the presence of false teachers. Now, I, I'm going to spend a little bit more time in introducing this passage and this chapter before we actually get into the points of the sermon. So I, I want to I warn you about that because it's important that we, we, we understand what is going on. We lay the foundation and we're helped by that with the very first word in this chapter, the very first word in verse one in my English text and probably yours is the three-letter word, but. And that little word is incredibly important because anytime we say but, we are, we are about to draw some contrast. We are about to say something that is either opposed or different or unique about what has been said before. And I want you to see that in this text. We need to lose the chapter division here because Peter's just continuing his thought from chapter one. And if you were here last week, you know chapter one ends with Peter talking about the sure word that we have of the prophetic testimony. Testimony, the testimony of the prophets that is recorded in the scriptures that you hold in your hand this morning. This is, this is what he says. It's verse 19 of chapter 1. It's more fully confirmed and you do well to pay attention to this. Knowing this in verse 20 that no prophecy of scripture is from someone's own interpretation. The prophets didn't make this stuff up. They didn't come up with it on their own. And then he says they didn't. They, they, they didn't interpret it on their own. But instead, 
men spoke from God. God spoke through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are true prophets. You have the record of a right testimony, a good testimony in this thing that we call the Bible. Peter says there are trustworthy prophets, but, but, he says at the beginning of verse 1, there are also false prophets. 1776, Thomas Jefferson wrote those famous words that all men are created equal. And how thankful we are, historians tell us that nothing said during that period has had more lasting impact than those words. And even in a day of heightened racism and prejudice here in the United States of America, we reflect back on those words. We hold on to them. We believe them. They're actually biblical words, biblical principles. This is how God created us. But listen to me, all men are created equal, but all prophets are not. And, that, and that's what's going on here. That's what's happening. Peter says you have trustworthy prophets in the scriptures and the, the record of their testimonies in the scriptures. It's dependable. It is a sure word. You would do well to pay attention to it. But, he says, there are also, there are also false teachers in your midst. And he says at the beginning of verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people. He's speaking here about the reality that this is no new thing. This has been going on in the midst of the people of God for a long, long time. It happened before. I want to show that to you. So if you'll do a little Bible drill with me and, uh, and, and, and go to some passages of Scripture, put a, put a marker or put your finger or put a pen or something here in 2 Peter 2. And let, let, let me show you this. Let me show you false prophets that arose among the people. Go all the way back to, toward the beginning of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I want you to see this. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book in your Bible, chapter 13. Now, as you're finding Deuteronomy 13, let me remind you what's going on here. The children of Israel actually standing on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and take the land that God has promised to them. And the entire book of Deuteronomy basically is a book of sermons that Moses preached to them on the banks of that river to get them ready to take the land. And this is one of the things he says. God says through Moses in verse 13, excuse me, verse one of chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises, look at this, among you. If you write in your Bible, circle that or put a line under it, a star by it. If not, just make a mental note of that because you're gonna see it again. I want you to see the context he's talking about this happening. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, now look, when you get over there in Canaan, they're going to have some Canaanite prophets over there that talk about weird stuff and they're, they're going to try to deceive you. And say, you remember the Jebusites, you know, that, you, those Jebusites, they, they had their own prophets and man, they worship, you know, weird idols and stuff and, 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 and don't believe that. That's not what he says. He says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. 
Let me tell you how this messes with me. I'm a simplistic thinker. I want to I wanna think in black and white. I, w- I want to think uh, that, that, that everything is cut and dry. So I, I want to believe you got a good prophet, then that prophet, man, does powerful things. He speaks prophetically and, 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 and he's, he's doing supernatural stuff. You got a bad prophet. He can't do that stuff because he's on the other, uh, other side and he's not with God. So he can't do mighty things and speak powerfully and, and perform miracles. Look, look, look at what the word says. If this prophet arises and does a sign or a wonder and it comes to pass. You know what he's telling us? He's telling us this thing about false prophets. This is, this is supernatural stuff. This, this is deceptive stuff because, because there, there can be powerful, persuasive individuals that are doing things that look like things that are otherworldly. And look, look at what he says. They, they accompany that sign and wonder with these words in verse two. Let us go after other gods, which you've not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet, he says, or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him in old fast. And look at verse five. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. You don't think God was serious about this issue? The deceptiveness of it, number one, they come from within. Number two, powerfully persuasive. Number three, using that powerful persuasiveness to, to deceive the people of God and call them away from worshiping him. God says that's worthy of capital punishment. That's how serious he was about this. Look at Jeremiah 23. So just fast forward in your Bible. Find the prophet Jeremiah and find chapter 23. So Jeremiah is preaching to the children of Israel and he is rebuking them. He is correcting them. He's challenging them. He's telling them that God's judgment is coming. And in the midst of that, he starts talking about the prophets. Jeremiah 23, verse 9, you see it. He begins there uh, concerning the prophets now, Jeremiah says. Let me talk to you about them. You got to understand, this was a day when all of the prophets were corrupt. You, you couldn't find one that was righteous and holy and good and spoke for God. So just look at some of the mountain peaks here. Look at verse 11. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Look at verse 13. <laughs> he says, in the, prophets, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. A distasteful thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people of Israel astray. But, look at verse 14, in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. See, it's different. I, I saw a distasteful thing. They were, they, they were worshiping Baal and calling people away. But look, in Jerusalem, he says, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no, no one turns from his evil. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. All of you have seen over the last few days, the governor of Florida going on television, pleading with people saying, get out, don't wait, don't procrastinate, don't sit there. This is your last chance to do this. This is what Jeremiah was saying to the people. Judgment is coming. But he says, you've got prophets among you that are saying, no big deal, don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. Just stay put. Hunker down in your house. Take a vacation. Everything's shut down. Get some chips and dips. And just, just don't worry about it. That's what it would be like. Somebody rose up and said that to people in South Florida right now. And that's what, that's what is happening here. Verse 21, God says, I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. I didn't speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Verse 32, behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their own lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. They don't profit this people at all, declares the Lord. You come into the New Testament, our Lord was equally as serious about false teachers. Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we find ourselves at the end of maybe the most famous sermon that was ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, in verse 15... Jesus says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, now, now pause right there. There's really two images right here. Obviously, the one that is, is, it seems to be uh, you know, the, the, the most tangible, and that is uh, that if somehow uh, a wolf could take a, uh, you know, a skin to the sheep, the skin, the coat of a sheep, and put it over him and, 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 and creep into the, you know, to the fold. Jesus described that, but there's actually something that was more, more familiar to these people. You see, the wool that came from a sheep carried Characterize the clothing that prophets and priests wore in these days. This is what people believe that the you know that if a prophet or priest would have wool clothing, and so Jesus is saying these guys come and they're they're clothed, they're clothed like your preachers. They're clothed like like your Sunday school teachers, like your small group leaders. They're clothed like elders. I, 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 I want to believe that if, if Satan shows up and his, his army shows up, at, he shows up and he's in a bright red suit with a long tail holding a pitchfork with pointy ears breathing fire. That's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I want. I want it to be that obvious. And Jesus says, no, they're, they're going to look like your, your pastors. They're going to look like your, your preachers. They're going to look like your teachers. They're going to look like your elders. They're going to come in suits and ties. They're going to come in dresses. They're going to come in jeans. They're going to look like they belong. 
But look, inwardly, he says, they're ravenous wolves. You see why, why, why 2 Peter 3 is so important? Because this is not something that we have a tendency to just spot on the surface. It looks normal. But verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits, he says. The Apostle Paul believed this. Acts chapter 20, go over a few books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, find chapter 20. You come to Acts 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, the elders at the church at Ephesus for the last time. He's about to head to Rome from which he would never return, be executed in a Roman prison cell. So he's exhorting these brothers. Acts chapter 20, just look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his, his own blood. Why, why, Paul, why are you exhorting us to this which we already know that we're to care for the flock? Why is this so urgent? Why are you saying this as part of your last words? Look at verse 29, because I know I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Look at me, Parkwood, just for a second. You're the flock. Those of you that have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're the flock. We're the flock. You see his words, not sparing the flock. And, and from among you, look at verse 30, and from among you, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He didn't even say at that point in that verse, they're going to come in from the outside and make their, you know, make, make their home settle in. He says, from among you, from among yourselves, they will rise up. And, and, and this is what they'll do, speak twisted things. This is why they'll do it, to draw away disciples after them. So many more I could show you. Let me, let me just give you one more and then we'll come back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at, look at 2 Timothy. So go over a few books and, and find 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, just kind of jumping in in the middle of Paul's warnings about the nature of the last day. In verse 5, he says there be people that have the appearance of godliness but denying its power. See that appearance of godliness. And he says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led away, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And then he uses the false prophets in Pharaoh's court that opposed Moses in verse, verse 8, Janus and Jambres, and says people are going to do the same thing. They're going to be those who oppose right teaching 
and truth. Look across the page in chapter four, maybe the next page in your Bible. You remember Paul is charging Timothy to preach the word in verse two and to be ready in season and out of season to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to miss. You understand what he's saying? He's saying the day is coming (laughs) in these last days. And beloved, we're here. It's here. The day's coming where people in the church are actually going to foster this. They're going to ask for it. And it makes complete sense. Why? Because they want to be justified. They they want somebody to tell them that the way they're living and what they refuse to repent of is okay. And this is exactly, exactly what's happening in our day and time. It's happening, it was happening in Peter's time. They, They have itching ears and so they're saying, give us false teachers. We want that. Why? Because our passions and our flesh are are, are telling us to do things that are contrary to godliness and holiness. And we want somebody to tell tell us that that's okay. You've done this. I've done this. We've had people come and ask us to do it for them. It is part of our depraved nature to do this. And and, and Paul told Timothy, it's going to characterize these days. So, I just want you to see when we come to 2 Peter chapter 2 that when Peter says false prophets also arose among the people, he knew what he was talking about and notice what he says next, just as there will be false teachers among you. And don't be deceived into thinking because he uses the future tense that that's not already happening because it won't be very long. In fact, the second part of verse 10 in this chapter, you'll see the tense change, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme, Peter says. So, so it would be as if you came to me and you said, all right, Shaddix, tell us about the culture we're in. And I said, well, one of the things is there will be false teachers in this culture. I'm not talking in the future tense. I'm simply describing for you the reality of the present. And that's what Peter's doing. And he says, everything that has happened in history, what Moses said, what Jesus said, what the apostle Paul said is happening in your day. There will be false teachers among you. So you have this contrast. There are good teachers and preachers and prophets whose words are recorded on the pages of our Bible. But Peter says, but there are also false teachers that will arise from within your midst. So let me show you these false teachers. I want you to see their motives. I think there are three that are identified in this passage of Scripture. First of all, they smuggled destruction. They smuggled destruction. He says in verse 1, these teachers will, in my English text, says secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
I think we really could break this down by looking at how these false teachers work, what they teach, and, and then where they're headed. He tells us all of that in this one verse. Let me show you how they work. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. In the language of the New Testament, this word secretly means to, to smuggle with deception. In other words, to bring something in, trying to keep it from, 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 from those who are at the door. Several years ago, I uh, was traveling a lot internationally. I still do that some, but I, I decided it would be helpful if I got this global entry deal. Some of you travel, you know, know what that is about. You can make application to basically get expedited custom service. So when you come back in the country, you don't have to stand in real long lines. It's kind of an expedited service deal. So what you had to do is fill out an application, pay a fee, and then set up an appointment with a customs agent at a particular location, and they would do a brief interview. And so I did all of that. I was flying back and forth a lot from Birmingham, Alabama, to Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, always connecting in, in Atlanta. And the closest place to do the interview was the Atlanta airport. So I said, man, that works out great. I'll just plan a longer layover for one of my flights and I'll uh, schedule the interview. I did that. It all worked perfectly. I got there at plenty of time. They took me right in when I got to the office there in the Atlanta airport and the custom agent sat down and looked at his computer. Was, I was in a chair behind him and he said, Mr. Shaddix, he said, this won't take very long. We just have a couple of questions that we want to ask you. So first of all, he said, have you ever been guilty of a customs violation? And I just kind of <laughs> laughed under my breath and said, no, that's ridiculous. And then he said, well, it says here that in 2002, you tried to bring some switchblades back into the country from the Philippines. My palms began to sweat. Because he was exactly right. I, 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 I did. I was in the Philippines and I went to a market and my boys were young and they collected knives and I thought, man, it'd be cool. I'll bring them a souvenir. And I bought some, uh, I bought some uh, uh, switchblades and, 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 and I brought them home. But the thing that I didn't know was that it's illegal to bring switchblades into the United States of America. But the U.S. government wasn't impressed with my ignorance. They confiscated those switchblades and and they put me on record as having brought something back in or attempted to, I can prove that I wasn't trying to be deceptive because I actually declared them. That's, that's one of the ways they knew it. I declared them on my declaration sheet. I just, I, I didn't know. But it didn't matter to them. Took them away, gave me a record, and you guessed it, they denied my global entry application. I got to stand in long lines now. Let me tell you something. False teachers don't declare their goods when they come through customs into the local church. That's what, that's what Peter said. This is how they work. This is done in stealth. So nobody will, will, will know. False teachers don't come. Listen, false teachers, they don't come to pulpits like this or they don't come to your small groups or stand up in a gathering and say, hey, Y'all listen to me. I got some stuff that is completely false. They don't say that. They, they come in by stealth. They, they smuggle. This is how they work. Let me show you what they teach specifically. He calls them destructive heresies. Destructive ideas that are not true. They're contrary to the Bible. But be careful here. 
with this word destructive, you know, I'm assuming, and I think I'm right, that the reason it's illegal to bring switchblades in the United States is because those, uh, those things are considered harmful. They can cut you. They can kill somebody. But that's all they can do. It's not the kind of destruction that Peter's talking about here. He's talking about stuff that can damn you to hell. That's a different deal. One thing to get cut, maybe even lose your physical life by virtue of a knife. It is another thing to spend eternity separated from God in hell. This is what he says is the nature of these errors. And then he tells us straight up what it is. Even denying the master who bought them. The title master here is, is, a, is, a, is a name that is actually used for God very frequently in the New Testament. Despotes, and we, so we get our word despot. But, but here, it obviously is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ because look, he speaks of the fact that he has done this to buy them, the master who bought them. And that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has bought us. Now, most of the time, Most of the time when we think about being bought by God, we think about the blood of Christ, don't we? We are blood-bought people. Jesus died for us on the cross and he shed his blood that our sins might be forgiven. And, And so in that he purchased us for God. And certainly that is true, but it's actually not the idea right here. The idea is of a slave owner that goes to the market and buys a slave and brings him home and gives him some household tasks. Now, listen to me very carefully. I said this to you before in one sermon. We, we unapologetically, unapologetically refuse, rebuke, disagree with, and denounce the racism, the white supremacy, and anything in our day and time that suggests that all men are not created equal and are of equal value to God. We push back against that and we do it against the backdrop of a slave system in this, in this country that did exactly those things, that exalted some men over others and abused those that they consider to be lesser human beings themselves. And we radically oppose that because of the gospel. But we know this that Christians in the New Testament were ready to claim that title for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why many of the biblical writers open up by saying, this is Paul or Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's a good Lord. He is a good master and he has bought us and we owe our lives to him and we're glad to do it because he's forgiven us of our sin and he is going to take us to be with him in all of eternity. We are glad to say we are slaves of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, we say. And that is what false teachers were denying. Denying the master who bought them, refusing the lordship of Christ, saying, I don't want to be anybody's slave. I'm my own person. I want to control my life. I want to do what I want to do. And you know, beloved, listen to me, come in here real close. This is exactly what we deal with in our day and time. It is exactly what keeps people from accepting Christ. It is exactly the order of the day and what the philosophy of our culture is. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody is your master. Nobody is over you. You're slave to nobody. You do your own thing. That's what they were telling people then, and that's what people are telling us now. 
That's what these guys were saying. They denied the master who bought them. That is what they do, but look at where they're headed. End of verse 1, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. This is where, listen, this is it's clear in this passage of Scripture. We're not talking about Christians here. These false teachers are not Christians. And they weren't once Christians and lost this. This has been their destiny. It is their destiny. This is how serious God is about false teaching to show us in his word. This is in game with false teachers. You just, just scan this chapter. Look, 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 at, look at the end of verse 3. I didn't read it a moment ago. Their condemnation from long ago is an idol. Their destruction is in a sleep. Look in verse 9. The Lord is able to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Look at the end of verse 12. They will also be destroyed in their destruction. Look in verse 17. They're waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. You don't read 2 Peter chapter 2 and not know that the destiny of those who oppose the gospel is eternal destruction. I don't think I told you at the beginning. If I did, I... Forgive me for being repetitive, but listen, these next three weeks are going to be heavy because that's, that's what the nature of this chapter is. It's going to be heavy. None, none of you better catch me out in the hall and say, preacher, I really enjoyed that sermon. <laughs> because this, there's, there's not any enjoyment in Second Peter chapter 2. We can grow. We can learn. God will challenge us. We'll be sanctified. But this is weighty stuff. So they smuggle destruction. Secondly, they scandalize the gospel. Look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here he shows us the, the temptation that false teachers will pose to godless conduct. I mean, look at it at the beginning of verse 2. There's a, this temptation is manifested, in fact, that many will follow. Not one or two, not one here and there, but many will follow. And what are they following? Look, they're following their sensuality. Language of the New Testament, this is a term that refers to, to, to sexual passion, perverted sexual passion, unrestricted, free sex. And, and, and all of that makes sense, right? I mean, in our sex-crazed culture, isn't it true? That there's a lot of people ready to sign up for that. Yeah, that sounds good. That's, that's what I want to do. This is the deception of it when false teachers rise up. And this is part of their message. And this is part of their lifestyle. Then, 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 then young people want to say, yeah, I mean, we have premarital sex. And that's good. This, this teacher is, 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 is okay with that. Okay with sex before marriage. Okay with finding another partner. Okay with walking away from your wife and abandoning your family or, 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 or walking away from your husband to take someone else's wife or, or, or husband. It's, it's anything goes and whatever you want to do. And the fact of the matter is our, our passions, our, our lusts press us toward those things. So it shouldn't be a surprise why when somebody stands up under the banner of God, under the banner of Christianity and says, this is really okay that there are many who are ready to say, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in his camp. So the temptation to godless conduct, but you know, the number of people that follow that is actually not the biggest tragedy here. You know what the biggest tragedy is? It tarnishes the gospel credibility. It tarnishes 
gospel credibility. Look at the second half of verse 2. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth is synonymous for the gospel. It was characteristic of believers. And it reminds us that the Christian life, the gospel life, is not just a set of principles to, to, to agree to, but it is a lifestyle that we travel. So he says, because of them, the gospel will be blasphemed. You understand when a preacher loses his pulpit, he loses his ministry because of scandalous sin, he defaults on the call of God on his life. Ultimately, it's the gospel that takes the hit. People forget about him. And if you default on godliness and holiness and compromise and, 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 and are discovered to be living contrary to, to the word of God, ultimately it's the gospel that takes the hit. People forget about the preacher and they forget about you, but what they remember is the reputation of the gospel. And all the way through the New Testament, if we had time this morning, I would show you instance after instance, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Titus chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where this message is, 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 is people are exhorted to live godly lives, to honor God so that the gospel is not blasphemed. And this is what these false teachers do. They scandalize the gospel and finally they swindle believers they swindle believers. That's you, me, if you've trusted Christ. Look at verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The language of the New Testament, the word exploit is a commerce term. It suggests monetary motives. So, so in verse 2, you have introduced the idea of the, the sexual promiscuity that they promote. In verse 3, you have the materialism that they promote. In their greed, they're going, to, they're going to take your money. And how are they going to do it? They're doing it with false words because they're speaking words that you like to hear, you want to hear, and you say, sign me up for that. So the next step is you begin to make contributions to their ministry. You begin to give them money. And this is their motive. This is their desire. This is what they're after, Peter says. In 2009... Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Most famous fraudster in all of American history. And this Ponzi scheme that he had with about 4,800 clients from which he pilfered up to about $65 billion dollars. His two sons were actually the ones that turned him in. They worked for his company. They went to authorities and they told them what their father had confessed to them. And they said that he said, and I quote, it was all a lie. You, you understand that there, there is a relationship between materialism and false teaching. And people are told false things, they're told things they want to hear and they say, I sign up for that. And then they become a part of the source of greed of individuals by giving their money. And this is what Peter is saying. They, they swindle believers. Church, remember the survey we did at the beginning as I walked you through those passages of scripture, you began to see common denominators. And, and, and this text reveals those same common denominators. Here's what the deal is. Number one, false prophets are among 
God's people. Number two, they look like God's preachers. And number three, they're trying to take out both believers and unbelievers that are in the church. They're trying to shipwreck the faith of believers. They are trying to persuade unbelievers who may be on a spiritual journey of expiration away from that to follow their false teaching. They're among God's people. They look like God's preachers and they're trying to take you out. So how do we respond? Maybe the best application we can do here is just simply to read Peter's exhortation in his first letter at the very end in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what he says in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Know this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Let's pray. God, help us with this. We confess to you how we're driven by our passions. And Lord, those passions make us susceptible to false teaching. Lord, help us with this. I thank you for a congregation like this who's been taught so well and shepherded so well and is, is rooted in the truth. God, would you guard them? Would you protect them? Would you help them to be sober-minded and watchful knowing that just because they've been taught truth doesn't mean the enemy takes a vacation. Give them grace to resist him, firm in their faith, firm in the gospel. Lord, I pray the same for myself and my wife. I pray the same for Restoration Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I'm a member. God, I pray you would protect us and you would give us grace to be rooted in the gospel. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.